goodbye and welcome to So It's a Show, a podcast where we attempt to keep up with Rory and Lorelai's pop culture references. And my name is Taylor. And my name is Kyla, but you can call me Jude. Oh, hey Jude. (laughs) And we want to hold your hand today as we talk through yet another pop culture reference. So uh, let's come together and let it be and live out this day in the life. You're good. Google has its pros and cons. (laughs) I think that today is going to be better than yesterday. Mm. I mean... Probably because... I'm a walrus. That's what I was going to use next. How did you know? (laughs) I mean, how can you not mention the walrus? I don't know. I mean, I am the walrus. Mm. Yikes. No. We got to fight out for the title. We do. We've got a whole, we've got a whole recording session to do that. For sure. I'll get back at you. And I feel fine. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, eventually, not soon, we will run out of Beatles song titles that we can cover. So maybe we should just go ahead and kick it off with our favorite kickoff segment. I think we should. The best, you know. The worst. (laughs) To get in the spirit of our topic today, Kyla, who are the best and worst musicians on Gilmore Girls? Ooh. Okay. The best musician on Gilmore Girls, can I just give a whole group a shout out? Does that work? Of course. The troubadours that came to find their fame in Stars Hollow. Oh. Because they believed in a town that we know and love, but that most people in that world did not know about because it was tiny. But they believed in the dream of troubadour turned famous. Mm-hmm. Thanks to the original Troubadour. So I've got to say they're the best. And that episode was lots of fun with all their guest musicians. Who are some of them? Do you recall? I know Marilyn Ricecup made a special appearance. You might know her as Chloe on 24. Mm-hmm. She showed up. And I'm trying to think who else. It was There was a whole bunch of them. She yeah. was the one that stands out to me because I really like her as an actress. But also, wasn't the the woman who sings the lalas, wasn't she one of the troubadours, too? <gasps> Did Sam Phillips show up? I think so. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, I love that that episode had those very cute moments. I don't recall right now what was happening in between all that, but it was fun to switch to the troubadours throughout. Yes, and I can confirm Sam Phillips did make a special yeah. appearance. Yeah, okay. Awesome. So those were my favorite. What about for you? I have to say, you stole my answer a little bit. <gasps> I was going to say the town troubadour, because mm. I think he really adds a lot of heart and soul. But yeah. I don't feel like we can not mention the Ringo star of the Fab Four on <laughs> Gilmore Girls, a.k.a. Lane Kim. Mm-hmm. She's the drummer. She's totally awesome. Yep. And with the help of another awesome musician, Sophie, played by Carol King, she just like totally comes into her own and becomes a great musician and just is willing to do anything she can for the band. That's a class act. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful seeing her character go from 
just being a lover of music, a music aficionado. I mean, in mm-hmm. this episode that we're going to be talking about, she's trying to become a member of, or she's looking for a band. She hasn't joined mm-hmm. her band yet, started it. And she's listing off all these different influences on her own music, her own style. And mm-hmm. she's like, oh, this will separate them from the every, uh, separate the posers and all these obscure albums that I've never heard for of. Sure. So love <laughs> that she actually gets to become a musician. Yes. Go Lane. I would agree. All right. Who's okay. the opposite of Lane? Yeah. The worst. As John Ralphio would say <laughs> on Parks and Rec. Who's your least favorite musician on Gilmore Girls? Least favorite. Ah, oh, man. I I go back and forth on Zach. And if he is... Yeah. yeah I know I a lot of people say Zach is the worst for Lane, but... No one's going to be perfect, you know, so I, I don't like to write him off completely. But as a bandmate, yeah. he is the worst. He ruined their gig. He ruined a couple mm-hmm. gigs and just freaked out. Yeah. I mean, he grows up some by the end for sure. Mm-hmm. So I got to give him some credit there. But yeah, there were a lot of bumpy, bumpy moments on the way there. Yeah. Do you have another one in mind? Well, he definitely crossed my mind. Sorry, Zach. But I think the one that I have to say is whoever put that musical together in the summer episode of A Year in the Life, there were moments of that that were funny, but boy, oh boy, it went on forever and it was atrocious. Yeah. So, yeah. And the fact that the whole town thought it was great, no boy, no. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's the first time we've pulled from a year in the life. I think, or at least the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a fan. Yeah. Well, should we talk about this episode of Gilmore Girls? I think we should. This episode of Gilmore Girls is episode 303, Application Anxiety. Much better title than last Times episode, Haunted Leg, for the record. (laughs) The IMDb plot summary is, as college nears, Rory receives her Harvard application, leading her and Lorelai to have lunch with an alumni, alumnus, excuse me, (laughs) to see if she stands a chance at getting in. But the college talk has Dean worried about their future. Uh -uh. Meanwhile, Taylor decides to open an old soda shop next to Luke's and Lane advertises for a band member. That's actually a pretty solid summary. Good job. Yeah. Good job, IMDb. Very funny moment from this episode for me is <laughs> when <laughs> Luke peeks out and sees Taylor taking photos of the building next to his. And then Taylor sees they make eye contact and Taylor stands upright, looks, takes a photo <laughs> of like a couple random things in the square and then just walks away. I just oh, crack up at that. And Luke knows, well, he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows it's not good. Yeah, naturally. Their dynamic cracks me up. It's one of the best relationships in Gilmore Girls, personally. Sounds like we're going to have to save that for a best worst. I think so. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, in Rory's storyline, 
one of the things that is giving her application anxiety is that now that she and Paris are student body president and vice president, mm-hmm. they are hosting a college talk, a kind of a Q&A time at Chilton. And they're saying all these things like, oh, you shouldn't write your essay about how great Hillary Clinton is. Everyone's going to write their essay about that. And Rory's like, oh, no, that's what I was going to write my essay on. So this is the kind of thing they're covering. But right before this little Q&A session starts, Rory and Paris have this conversation. The panelists are up there. We sit across from them and ask questions. What's the problem? It's boring and predictable and done to death. I wanted Charlie Rose to ask the questions. His style. I wanted us sitting at a round table with black backdrops. But the audience wouldn't be able to see anything. I was working with the losers in the AV club to project it on a giant video screen. And all Mr. Hunter said was, Paris, this isn't the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Nice anachronism, huh? Like they had video screens in 65. His references are as topical as his suits. Which would you call a suit topical? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe in the sense that it's on the top of his body? (laughs) Hashtag bad puns. But no one does a burn quite like Paris Geller. This is true. That's... Mm -hmm. So, Kyla... When you heard Paris say this, what the heck did you think Beatles at Shea Stadium was all about? I think I thought she was talking about a bunch of bugs duking it out in the stadium. I mean, you know, <laughs> you got your... your... <clears throat> okay, no. Okay, I was going to say, Kyla, <laughs> I know, you know, we definitely pick things we're not familiar with. And you might have said I was more cultured in the last episode. But I'm a little more cultured than that. Yeah, I'd like to give you some credit. Thank you. Yes, I know the Beatles. Know that band. Hey, Jude. Can you name all four of them? Well, as you told me before we started, there's John, Paul, Ringo, and you know I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to pull a Richard right now and phone a friend. He did not know the names of all the Beatles either, oh, if I do recall. And he and Emily had a disagreement about which of them had died and how many yes. of them had died. <laughs> so I'm going to say John, Paul, Ringo, and... <laughs> yeah, who's the fourth one? George. George, that Harrison. sounds familiar. Harrison, mm-hmm. as his last name. Yeah, do you know the last names of the other three Beatles? John, um, George, and Ringo? Definitely I mean, don't. Isn't that weird? Don't we usually know first and last names? I know Paul, first. John, and Ringo, I mean. That's all I got. Ringo Starr. Yeah, there you go. Whoa, that just came to me. And what about John and Paul? Ooh, Lennon. John Lennon. Uh-huh. Paul Wubikowski. <laughs> He's probably the most famous Beatle. <laughs> Paul McCartney, does that ring McCartney. a bell? McCartney, <laughs> he's still alive too. He is still alive. Kanye made him famous. <laughs> Actually, there's another Beatle still living. Do you know who it is? It's not John. No, correct. Paul. Wait, <laughs> we already said Paul. Paul was already one of the ones we covered. George. No. Ringo. Yes. Process of elimination. <laughs> We'll get into the drummer who was only with the band for a while another time. 
Oh, okay. Hashtag fifth beetle. I don't remember his name, but I know there is a fifth beetle. Oh. But then it's Shea Stadium. I mean, just sounds like a concert venue. So, you know, it was a concert. But I didn't know that this was a real, you know, that it was a concert film. To me, it was just, it could have been. So that he could have said the Beatles at Madison Square Garden. I didn't know it was a specific concert that they had put on. That makes sense. Fair enough. Okay. What about for you? I think I was at about the same place. I assumed it was a concert that the Beatles had put on. And yes, I feel very familiar with who the Beatles are. So I think that's not something we need to cover. But yeah, Mm -hmm. what's up with Shea Stadium? Yeah. Why that place? Yeah, what is it? So there's a 50-minute documentary, 55, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it is of this concert, a concert film, as you might call it. In 1965, Paris was correct. So she might have been critical of her professor's references, but she did know the year that that concert mm-hmm. was put on. So what does that say? But, yeah, it was a, one of their biggest concert to date, had the most people in attendance that they had had at that point, 55,000 people, mm-hmm. something like that, which is just yeah. crazy. I saw 56,000 in Rolling Stone, mm. and yeah, the Beatles.com confirms over 55,000. Crazy. Yeah, that's still huge. So yeah, they filmed it, made a documentary, it aired in the U.S., in the U.K., and somewhere else. Yeah, and this was at, as you guessed it, Shea Stadium in New York, which is where the Mets and the Jets played at the time. So Jets for football, Mets for baseball. And this stadium, it eventually just went on to be a baseball stadium, and it was actually demolished in 2009. So hmm. it was still up and running the time at the time this episode aired. Yeah. So we both watched this 50-minute documentary I just have to ask, what were some of the thoughts running through your head as you watched the footage of this concert, which includes footage of their opening acts, footage of the crowd, there's voiceover from the four guys in the band and from some of the people they work with on the management side, talking about New York City and about their fame, yada yada. What Mm -hmm. what were you thinking? Mostly... I mean, the fangirls. There were so many freakouts. Faintings, screaming, running, trying to rush the stage, and security guards carrying them off. Some women were treated nicer than others, I will say. To be fair, we did not have the full context, so yes, I have no idea what happened in the moments leading up to these police officers grabbing them and taking them off yes. the field. But some of the women were able to be chased back, others were carried off. So, watch it yourself, see what you think. But the women were just freaking out, sobbing. Yeah. It was insane to me. I I do not think I have ever seen anything like it. And I'm mm-hmm. sure in this documentary, they're highlighting some of the craziest parts. Yeah. And you do see footage of people just kind of sitting and enjoying the music. 
But I just have never been in a place where the crowd reaction has just been that visceral, emotional. Mm-hmm. Like it, it almost reminds me in a weird way of video I've seen of like Pentecostal churches where yes. people are like jumping and shaking and shouting like like they don't have control of mm-hmm. what they're feeling. I mean, it looked like a religious experience. Like, yeah. this was Sunday morning to another level. Yeah. Have you ever been outside during cicada season? Oh, yeah. So where I grew up, you know, they go through their cycles. There's something like a seven-year cycle and a 17-year cycle, something, something like that. I remember growing up, there was one summer, it was so bad, you could not, <laughs> not hear the cicadas wherever you went. Ooh. You'd be inside and you could hear the cicadas. They were so loud. <laughs> you went outside, they were everywhere. They were all over the trees, all over, like flying everywhere. You could, they were just this constant buzzing. And this is what this whole concert film sounded like, hmm. is even when they're singing, you you just hear the crowd the mm-hmm. whole time. They were so loud. Yeah. Yeah, which I, I I don't know. I've I guess maybe I'm not a like I would definitely not call myself a music like lover and I have all these bands that I'm super passionate about. Like I enjoy it. I know what I like. I have a full iPod, but I've never felt the way that those people seem to feel about mm-hmm. experiencing a Beatles concert, which is cool. Like, it's in, like intriguing to me for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and something I was thinking about as I was watching it, I have seen footage and I've definitely heard stories of girls and boys, but mostly girls going crazy for boy bands, mm-hmm. you know, like the One Direction or mm. when we were growing up. We were a little younger. The Jonas Brothers mm-hmm. definitely saw some crying at those concerts and videos <laughs> and like stuff like that. And even at the time, I was a fan and I was like, this is absurd. Like, they're just people. It's fine. But I also wonder, because our culture is so segmented now, like, I don't mm-hmm. think there's one band like the Beatles. I don't, And I'm not sure there yeah. ever can be again. There's not one band that can bring people together just because there's too much mm. media. No, yeah. there's no TV show, there's no movie that everyone sees anymore. I mean, even, you know, crazy things like when the Avengers comes out. Like, yeah, a lot of people see it. It mm-hmm. can probably find someone to talk about it with no problem, but if you bring it up at the group lunch table, probably not everybody's seen it even if it's been out for a few weeks. Well, and I would argue too that the bigger issue is that there's always something to come next so we might all be talking about well okay everyone was talking about white and gold versus blue and black dress oh my gosh that was a moment where everybody was talking about it that and that was that felt very surreal i remember that thinking oh my word everyone is talking about this Mm -hmm. one thing on the internet all at once but then it was gone and there was something new so i think that's an issue now is that it's everything's being replaced so quickly even crazy news stories just oh two days later you know on to the next yeah 
So I don't know if there's anything that keeps us keeps us grouped, keeps us on the same topic for long. That's a great point because I think it takes a lot to get most people's attention, you know, unless Mm -hmm. it's like the Super Bowl or an election or, you know, the Oscars to a degree or something else that is Mm -hmm. just so huge. It's hard to get everybody's attention. And then even once you have it, it doesn't last. You're right. But Beatlemania, it was a moment. Oh, it was. And it was a long moment, too. It was Mm -hmm. not blink and you miss it like the white and gold versus blue and black dress. (laughs) (laughs) How long was Beatlemania? Did you see any, like, exact years? Well, I think this is the height of Beatlemania. The Beatles were formed in 1960 and broke up in 1970. And this is 1965, Hmm. so this is literally Ah. quite the crescendo, the apex before the decline. And what is Beatlemania? Beatlemania is a craze for the Beatles. And (laughs) I got a little description of it. We'll talk a little bit more about this. But a year later in 1966, they had another famous stadium show at Bush Stadium in the hometown I grew up in of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And they described this in a contemporary article that came out the day after the show. Here's just a little snippet of it. At the first aid station, two nurses treated 35 girls for minor injuries and ailments, the most common one being acute beetle mania. It's a mild (laughs) hysteria, said nurse Virginia Berger. The symptoms are weeping, wailing, and uncontrollable shaking. I tell them to sit down and cool off. Oh, my. (laughs) So that's quite the definition, I think, Mm -hmm. of beetle mania. And that's what happens when you have 56,000 mostly teenagers at a show in Shea Stadium, which was on August 15th, 1965. And they were just performing on a stage in the middle of the infield. Mm -hmm. It was not a huge stage. Rolling Stone calls it rickety. Mm -hmm. And this was just after their latest album, Help, had come out. Which Rolling Stone also notes is their worst album. (laughs) But still, on the scale of albums, way better than many other people's worst albums. Mm -hmm. They had just played other shows on tour in the United States. This was part of their first United States tour. They had just played the Hollywood Bowl. And things were going pretty well for them. This is what Rolling Stone calls the third and final defining moment of Beatlemania after their Ed Sullivan Show performance And when A Hard Day's Night, the film and the album came out, which I have watched A Hard Day's Night, and it is something. It is basically a movie of them running around, singing songs, and getting chased by girls. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Their set list for the evening included some classics that you probably know, even if you're just a casual Beatles fan. To be Mm -hmm. honest, I call myself more a casual Beatles fan, not a diehard here. They opened with Twist and Shout. They played other ones like A Ticket to Ride, Can't Buy Me Love, Mm -hmm. A Hard Day's Night, and Help! I need somebody help. It's just so hard not to sing along when you hear them. They played 11 songs in about 30 minutes, and this was going on after five openers. 
wow, I didn't realize it was that many, but there were a lot. I was surprised by the number. Yeah, and I read an interview with Dave Schwenson, who wrote a book about their concert at Shea Stadium. And he said the whole evening was more like a variety show, which was pretty normal at the time. Okay. So they had the discotheque dancers. <laughs> yeah, they um, were interesting. They were in the documentary. They had Cannibal and the Headhunters, Sounds Incorporated, the King Curtis Band, and Brenda Holloway, which is another name I know. And in this interview, he mentions this and gives no explanation. Marvin Gaye was introduced but didn't perform. What? Marvin Gaye's a huge deal. Huh. Why would you introduce him and not let him sing? Maybe it changed his mind. I don't know. And question for you. How expensive do you think it was to get into this show? Oh, I don't know. A hundred dollars? Uh, let's try four fifty, <gasps> a.k.a. $4.50. Oh. <laughs> oh my word. Yes. This author said that tickets were something like $4.50, $5.65, and some parents still thought it was too much money and wouldn't let their kids go. Wow. And now just think those kids whose parents didn't let them go and to see what it became. I know. I just cannot imagine. The author of this book said that he did not go to Shea Stadium, but he went to go see them at Cleveland Stadium in 1966. And he said, the screams were so loud, I can only describe it as standing next to a jet taking off. And it never stopped. I've taken my kids to concerts now, like American Idol and others, and the fans scream between songs but stop to listen to the music. With the mm -hmm. Beatles, they never stopped. Plus, there were a lot of girls crying, fainting, and just going hysterical. I've never seen anything like that since. Wow. What a time to be alive. For real. <laughs> For real. And, and all the people who were of who were teenagers during the Beatles era just mm -hmm. rolled their eyes at us. <laughs> well, and their management wasn't sure that they were even going to sell the stadium out. And they were afraid it would look really bad if there were empty chunks of seats. So they had this deal that they would buy the seats $10 per, their management would. Which was almost double, you know, the highest ticket price. <laughs> but he was just, he, you know, he didn't want it to look bad. He wanted it to be a sellout. And then it turned out to be no problem. And then the question was, oh my gosh, how do we keep these guys safe? And so they, as you saw in the documentary, had tons and tons of police. So many. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there was a little gate kind of in between. Mm -hmm. And... But then just huge empty field where the officers would chase the fans. I know. I cannot imagine. But, I mean, don't you think kind of worth it? Well, here's my question. What do you think is going to happen when you run the field? I think you're going to go up and you're going to, like, touch a beetle. But, I mean, do you really think you're going to do it is the question. I guess when you're inflicted with Beatlemania, you're not thinking clearly. I, I mean, the the nurse said. <laughs> <laughs> it's a medical condition. It is. Uh, yeah, I guess you, I don't know, see if one of them will give you a kiss. I don't know. I mean, I guess if you think that's the peak of what you could get, 
then maybe then maybe I'd rush the stage. I don't know. So this is one of the very first stadium shows, which we pretty much take for granted now. It's normal to go to a stadium show for a huge act. But this was also a super important milestone in music documentaries. Yes, the first concert film was just a few years before in 1948. It was called Concert Magic. Magic, magic, magic. (laughs) (laughs) This featured the violinist, pardon my my pronunciation, Yudi Menuhin. (laughs) Um, you want to spell that just so we have an idea of what that is? Yeah, he was American-born, just not American-named. Y-E-H-U-D-I. Y-E-H-U-D-I. Yep. Okay. Last name M-E-N-U-H-I-N. M-E-N-H-E-U-I-N? U-H-I-N. Okay, got it. I can see why, if that's not a name you're familiar with, I'll bet someone could say it for us and they'll just make it like, uh, yeah, it's like John Smith. And you'll be like, oh. <laughs> he was Lithuanian. Okay. Lithuanian Jewish. And, uh, but that's, that's not important. We don't care. I'm sorry, but we don't care about Yudi Menuhin. What we care about is that he began. Oh, you mean his concert film we don't care that much about. No, I mean, <laughs> I thought... we don't. It sounded like you were like, we don't care that he's a Jewish Lithuanian. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, he's not who we're here to talk about, but we do yeah. care about the fact that he had the first concert film, and cool. uh, here's a here's a little snippet. Looks like a concert. Yeah. So as you can see, he's standing. On not like a stage, like at a venue, but maybe like in someone's fancy living room. You know, he's got mm-hmm. curtains behind him, like in front of a window. But uh, he's playing the violin, and they've filmed it. So concert film genre began. From then, I mean, there have been a lot. There are recent ones like Taylor Swift. Katy Perry had one. Lady Gaga had a docu- more documentary. It was more about an album as opposed to concerts. But all music documentaries for sure. Yeah. Pink Floyd had one in 1972 then. So that was soon after. And that one was mm-hmm. a huge one. But then they also had lots of other ones that were groupings of musicians. Like this one kind of was. Felt like a variety show. The Tammy Show, it had Beach Boys, Chuck Berry, James Brown, Marvin Gaye, lots of other people, Smokey Robinson, the Rolling Stones, and that was in 1964. And did Marvin Gaye actually sing in that one? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) So, So they were doing this right before, and they have kept since. And I would say it's definitely evolved from just a straight concert, because Katy Perry was about 
her journey and you saw her sobbing before the concert. I think her mm-hmm. marriage was ending during it. And then Justin Bieber, that one I remember being kind of a big deal. Like, yeah. I watched that the in theaters. Never say never. Never, never. <laughs> and then we there just There was have... a One Direction film a couple years oh, really? ago, too. Mm-hmm. My sister went to go see that one. Okay, I don't know that one. I honestly can't remember the name of it, but I know she saw it. Okay. So, yeah. And then, of course, Taylor Swift we saw in person. Oh, yeah. And I watched the concert film. They all kind of have done it their own way, but making it more personal or more just straight up, you know, concert and music. Like, Taylor Swift's was definitely, here's the concert. Yeah. Enjoy. Much more scripted than... And I definitely plan to get around to watching it, but because Mm. I saw the show, I don't feel as urgent. Like, I do want to sit down and watch it and kind of relive the fun I had at the show. Mm -hmm. But because I saw it, I don't feel like I'm missing out in the same way. Yeah. And I kind of, granted, I played it in the background. Like, I watched it, then I, Mm -hmm. you know, was working on stuff, and then I watched it. So, kind of back and forth, but she definitely stuck to a script, which, I mean, you could tell at the show... But Whereas, that's kind of her style, you know? Mm-hmm. She likes that structure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Beatles, the uh, Shea Stadium, <laughs> they just kind of walked <laughs> up. Uh, this one is from our uh, album six. I, I don't really know the album number. <laughs> I, I don't have it. <laughs> yeah, that amazed me how many times John Lennon couldn't remember which album the song was from. <laughs> yeah, which, like, do you really need to say that? <laughs> Why don't you just say I'm going to sing this song that I do know the title of <laughs> and that I know how to play on the guitar. Mhm. So yeah, very like obviously very different has evolved much, but Netflix keeps putting out a bunch. They put one out about Justin Timberlake oh, just yeah. a few years ago. There I was didn't a blip watch that on the radar of my attention that went to that. Speaking yeah. of short attention spans. so there's lots out there and i think it's a fun genre overall because sometimes you can learn a little more about the artist i really like that about lady gaga's and Katy perry's justin bieber at the time yeah (laughs) fun it's a fun way to learn about an artist you already appreciate and listen to their music it's kind of a Mm win-win Well, and in 1965, when the Beatles were only playing a handful of shows, mm-hmm. that's yeah. probably the closest most people were ever going to get to seeing the Beatles perform. Yeah, that's Especially true. if they didn't live in London. And actually, they quit touring not long after. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'm glad that they filmed that because I mean, it's historical. For sure. Yeah, and it was fun to watch. It was just a really good slice of history. And as I was watching it, yes, the hysteria, the Beatlemania was nuts. But watching them perform, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, these guys are charismatic, even mm-hmm. though they can't remember what album they recorded this <laughs> song on. They definitely, like, they know how to give off personality. They both mm-hmm. look comfortable on the stage, but they don't look arrogant. They look like they're very yeah. humbled by it. They don't look like they're attention hungry, but they look like they're excited to be there. And yeah, there's definitely a good charisma that all four of them had the whole show. Would you say they seemed excited to be there overall? 
I think they seemed happy to be there. I read that they were very nervous off stage, mm-hmm. and I think anyone would be overwhelmed, especially when that had never been done before. Yeah, I think anyone would be overwhelmed by the size of that crowd screaming like that. Yeah. Well, it just kind of seemed in their backstage that maybe it was nerves, but to me it felt like disinterest. And I guess I leaned into that opinion Mm. of their attitude, their demeanor, because when he was introducing the, the song titles and the way that they were whispering to each other, like they hadn't decided ahead of time what they were doing. I don't know. It felt like mm-hmm. I, I was interpreting some of their actions as, eh, we're not really prepared, but we're doing it. But, I mean, <laughs> nerves could have been. Nerves could have been it. Well, and maybe. I just thought, to me, that felt relaxed. Mm. Like, to me, it felt okay. like they got up there. Whereas, And like I said, I love Taylor Swift shows, and I love the spectacle of it. Like, I can tell she's put thought into every single detail Mm -hmm. but I also appreciate shows where it feels like musicians are just getting up there and kind of letting you in on a jam session a couple years ago my brother and I went to go see John Mayer and it was a little like we basically just showed up for a jam sesh with his (laughs) band and it was really relaxed and of course he's played some of these songs for almost two decades now so it's not like he's not familiar with them but he just had a really good vibe the whole evening and he would go off on these crazy guitar solos with his band (laughs) and I was like I'm not sure he even remembers that we're still here but I'm so (laughs) glad we are huh no that's cool thank you and I just want to do a slow song now that might be at home my vocal and it's also off Beatles 6 or something. I don't really know what it's off. I haven't got it. <laughs> it's a waltz, this one. Remember that. Anyway, the song's called Hopefully Enough. Ah, look at that. Ah. Ah. It's called Babies in Black. Well, I think it was also important that the Shea Stadium concert was the one that they captured because that really was the peak of Beatlemania. Almost exactly one year later, in August of 1966, they performed at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, oh, which yes. growing up there, that kind of lives on in lore of St. Louis. Like, <laughs> oh, the Beatles came here and played, and which is a big deal because they only had a select few cities that they toured in during their whole career and this is one of their very last shows they ever played huh wow so i think they were pretty exhausted from being on the road they had long story short the night before they were supposed to play a show in ohio and it got rained out so the next day they had to perform a noon show there and then come to St. Louis the same night. And then it rained all night in St. Louis oh the show. <laughs> and I think they were just exhausted. And they played four more shows. And then they quit touring forever. Except for one random show. Uh, I think on the top of a building in London. <laughs> mm. So there was a lot of rain. And like the Shea Stadium show. They played 11 songs in about a half hour. 
And this time, there were 23,000 fans at Bush Stadium, which was only about half capacity of the stadium. Hmm. And it sounds like people were, the, the people in the crowd were super enthusiastic. I saw some of the pictures from the evening, and of course, we read the description of Beatlemania from that St. Louis Post-Dispatch article. So, there was a lot of enthusiasm still. But they were facing some major controversy because earlier that year, John Lennon had made a comment about how the Beatles were more famous than Jesus Christ. (laughs) Not in America, you don't. (laughs) And that's just, I mean, look, no matter what you actually think about what that means of him saying it. That is just a tacky PR move. (laughs) Like, yes. why in the world would you feel the need to publicly say that and not expect it to not go over well? (laughs) Especially in the 60s. Yeah. And so there were fewer people that were showing up because of that, they think. And actually, there were, like, youth groups handing out leaflets before the show, and there had been throughout the country, like, beetle burnings of them, like, burning their records and stuff because of that. And they did interview a pastor in this article for the St. Louis Today, and actually, I thought he had a pretty good perspective on it. And he said, you know what? The Beatles are more popular than Jesus right now. Like, that's kind of how it is. But you know what? Like, this is something we need people kids to understand how pop culture fits in and what's more long-lasting and important. So Mm -hmm. he didn't sound angry about it. Yeah, that's good. The Long story short, the tide had shifted a little bit for them. (laughs) (laughs) They said that the concert was on its way to sell out, but then he made that comment and they think that's a direct result. Their lack of selling out. So... It's a great thing that they caught their concert at Shea Stadium because Mm -hmm. their touring was only going to last about a year longer and it wasn't going to be quite as hot as it was the year before. Yeah. But a nice little um, footnote to that. Paul McCartney came back 50 years later to play at the New Bush Stadium. Wow. In 2016, which was a pretty big deal. So things worked out in the end. Nice. (laughs) And now... You mentioning the building, mm-hmm. um, the concert on top of a building. I can't believe I almost forgot to give another shout out, which I will always take the opportunity to, to shout out across the universe, the musical that oh. uses all Beatles songs. Yeah. And in the closing scene, they had a concert on a rooftop and they sang uh, All You Need Is Love, I believe. Classic. Of course, just uh, the song that they also have in Gilmore Girls, A Year in the Life, with a little mm-hmm. help from my friends, which is probably my favorite from this musical. Thank you, Beatles, oh. for Across the Universe. <laughs> what a nice little end cap to their career. The only reason I know about it is because I listened to an episode of This Day in History class. I'm a big fan. It's usually about five to eight minutes. Every day, I learn a little something that happened in history, and I just listened to January 30th, 1969, the final Beatles performance a few days ago. Nice. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be in time. It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. 
love is all you need. Hey, kid, get your ass out of here! Come on, come on, come on, come on. Nothing you can see that isn't shown. Nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All you need is love. talk about how this fits into not just a year in the life but Gilmore Girls season 3 episode 3 uh, let's give it a shot so one more little bit of info that will help us figure this out is the production value mm. we talked about a little bit the rickety stage <laughs> but also you had this huge stadium People way up high, 55, 56,000 people. And these little tiny would end up being little ants on this stage. Or playing. little bugs like beetles. Little be Oh, man, missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Concerts nowadays, you can watch a screen the whole time if you want. Yep. Which is one of the things Paris wanted was a screen. So mm-hmm. something to think about as we kind of flush this this reference out mm-hmm. oh and people were they actually used binoculars i saw a bunch of people in the stands with binoculars to watch yeah. and so you saw the binoculars but did you see video screens in this documentary i did not i didn't either so i think paris has a point mm-hmm. she has watched her beetles at shea stadium documentary and she knows they did not project this onto a screen so the crowd could see so do you think in part this professor was begrudgingly saying this saying you know what what we're giving (laughs) you right now this stage with just people you got the bare minimum you got microphones chairs desks you know Mm -hmm. you have a curtain behind you it may not be black but at least it's a curtain. He's like, you know what? This is better than what the Beatles had at Shea Stadium. It should be oh. good enough for you, Paris Geller. <laughs> oh, see, I took it more of a statement of Paris Geller, get over yourself. Or maybe we're saying the same thing. Because yeah. he's going, Paris, this is not as big a deal. Yeah, This event does not matter as much as the Beatles at Shea Stadium. It will not be filmed and watched by generations later. No, not at all. And so follow-up question. Do you think Paris thinks this is the Beatles at Shea Stadium? Paris thinks that everything she's involved in is the Beatles at Shea Stadium. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's a fair point. She might think she is the fifth Beatle. I think... That's accurate. John, George, Paul, Ringo, and Paris. Has a nice ring to it. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this is not just insight into her teacher's perspective on the event, but also a little insight into how Paris deals with things. 
Yeah. I mean, her Romeo and Juliet performance. <laughs> Which, of course, had to be done in the traditional Elizabethan style. Yes. I just everything she does. She turns it's... it up to the 11. Oh, snap. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> reference within a reference. You're welcome. <laughs> well, and you know what? Something else before we move on too much. I think Paris would want to know. There are two movies coming up that I think she will want to see. Mm-hmm. And the first one is a continuation of these music documentary films. Did you see that Peter Jackson is making a documentary about the making of the album Let It Be? No. Yeah. It's just been announced in the last few weeks, so it's going to be a while. There's no release date set. Mm -hmm. But apparently, when the album was being made, there was footage filmed for a documentary that was never made. So oh. now he's going to combine that footage and he is also working with Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Yoko Ono Lennon, and Olivia Harrison to get some more modern perspective wow. on the album as well. So that should be really That's cool. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. And a different movie that mm -hmm. I am super excited for. I yeah. just watched the trailer before we recorded do you want to tell a little bit about what this movie is about? Yeah, it's called Yesterday, which mm -hmm. is the title of one of their songs. I think we already used that. Mm -hmm. And it's about a guy who wakes up and no one knows about the Beatles but him. I know. And so he becomes, you guessed it, a superstar and creates his own little Beatlemania. Mm -hmm. It looks just like really fun, little like rom-com maybe Lily James plays his, I guess, yeah. girlfriend, it seems. Yeah. Uh, it looks really cute and, like, just what a, a good, like, interesting concept. Mm-hmm. And everyone thinks that he's writing all these amazing songs. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how long can this keep going? <laughs> yeah. How great is his memory of the Beatles catalog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For real. I am almost certainly going to go see that one. I yeah. thought the trailer looked so good. Yeah. Um, that'll be a fun one, I think. Mm -hmm. Good summer movie. I think it might just get all my loving. <laughs> we'll see. And maybe we'll see Paris Geller in the audience. Maybe. <laughs> or up on stage. <laughs> Honestly, that might be more likely. <laughs> so, Taylor? So, Kyla? That's our show? That's our show. Woohoo. Uh, Woo let us know if you think that we have started a revolution with this podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Tweet at us at So It's a Show. Email us, So It's a Show at gmail.com. Ugh, the So It's a Show mania is just getting out of hand. Absolutely. <laughs> Keep us in your life by subscribing <laughs> to our tiny letter, tinyletter.com slash So It's a Show. In our most recent tiny letter, which, by the way, you can always look back at the archive and see what you've missed. 
But in the one that we most recently sent at the time of this recording, we sent lots of Valentine's Day ideas based Mm -hmm. on Gilmore Girls. And we'll send other little news bits we see come across our way and just lots of gifts and fun things. Yep. So uh, here's a teaser for our next step. Independence in, Lorelai speaking. I'm backing out. Too late, sorry. I'm not speaking to that stupid class. But you agreed. I'm out, case closed, no debate. Great, fine, do what you want. I guess I'm just out the $1,000 deposit. What deposit? For the room. What room? For the thing, for the afterwards thing. Oh, wait now, you're talking crazy talk trying to confuse me, aren't you? Aren't you? What? Who? Stop. Bye. Uh, uh, Hold on a sec. I agreed to this under coercion. You said yes on your own. I said yes because when I said no, you talked baby talk loudly in front of all my customers until I got so sick of it, I just agreed to do it to shut you up. I'm incorrigible. It's not a binding agreement. It's coercion. Well, you gave in just in time because uh, I was about to transition out of baby talk and into my Louis Armstrong voice, and that, my friend, is a whole lot worse than baby talk. I hate that building. What, the school? Three years ago in there, I have no good memories. You must have some. None. Kids were as dumb then as they are now. I think you'll enjoy this. Think about going back to your high school to give a talk. How would that feel? Okay, not all your points are bad. But it's not my school, it's your school. And if you cancel, this whole town will know. And when you walk down the street, people will point and whisper, there goes that Luke. He's a real talk canceler guy. Ouch. Plus, I promised the PTA, so my fragile reputation is on the line. I think you'll live. Oh, Luke. No. Hello, Dolly. Stop that. This is Louie, Dolly. I'll just hang up. I'll be coming around the diner singing songs. Have you been diagnosed? See you tomorrow at four. Okay, so the best one, because you can tell how much I know about them and care, is going to have to be Ringo. Because with a name like that, don't let him near your baby or he will eat it. (laughs) The dingo ate my baby. Okay, we need to cut that out. (laughs) I got a little too hyper. From Ringo Starr to the Dingo Ate My Baby. (laughs) (laughs) I can't decide if that's the best joke I've ever heard or the worst, but either way, it made me laugh so hard. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. I'm laughing, but I'm also laughing from just embarrassment. Never change. I love this. Okay. That's good. Okay. (laughs)